Welcome to our house. Well, we're going to continue our series in 2 Peter. We've been interrupted a couple of weeks. Uh, one, because I had to marry my oldest son last week. That was pretty cool. And uh, the other is <clears throat> more related to the fact that it's important for us as a people to have more voices speaking into the life of who we are than just me. I don't want this congregation to be built on bread. I want it to be built as God intended. He gave a prescription on how churches are to mature and believers are to grow up. That every church or the church is built on the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So it's just not one guy. It's just not one gift. It's a bunch of different gifts. Pastor Jim LaFoon, who was with us two weeks ago, is a prophet. Pastor Stephen Mansfield is a teacher. Both of these men add different perspectives, different, different angles from Scripture, different life experiences, different ethnic makeup than I am. And that helps us be us. So, no, we're never going to tell you when I'm not here. <laughs> because we don't want to encourage folks to say, I'm not coming that Sunday. If you're a part of us, you need to be a part of all of us. Not just me. You need to hear what God is saying to us, not just you. This is what the body is about. It's about growing up and getting more than just your needs met the way you like it. If you stay there, the Bible calls that immaturity. It's important for us all to grow up, and the best way we grow up is to have multiple voices who come from the same value system who understand what our vision is and understand where we're going and can help us be what we need to be. So we intentionally do this. But it means that we have to kind of break up a sermon series, but that's all right. A good word was gotten in the middle. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look <clears throat> at verses 7 through 10. I'm going to finish the sermon that I did not get to complete last time. I spoke to you. We're going to look at verses 7 through 10. Peter says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Verse 10, And especially those who indulge the flesh, in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Lord, help us as we study. The context is that Peter has just mentioned that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the midst of that moment of destruction, he was able to rescue righteous Lot, and he's trying to give encouragement to the believers to let them know that even though the world is wicked around you, God recognizes you. He's able to pick you out in particular. He doesn't give a sweeping judgment that takes out everything and everybody, the righteous as well as the wicked. He is able to specifically recognize your voice amongst the many voices that are crying out for whatever reason. Do you know you can tell the difference between a cry of help and a cry of anger? They're both loud screams, but one has a tone behind it that the other does not. And just like a mama who can tell the difference 
between her baby crying in a nursery filled with 30 others crying at the same time so God can tell yours. He can distinguish your voice from everybody else's. That's our God. And he's able to destroy something while saving something else. And indeed, he made Sodom and Gomorrah be no more, but he rescued righteous Lot. He recognized righteous Lot. That's encouraging because this world is a mess and you are less than a mess. Now, I say it like that because here we are with Lot. And Lot is less than a mess. The righteousness that it talks about with respect to Lot is that of relative righteousness. It's just that he wasn't doing what everybody else did. It's not that he did what he was supposed to. He just decided not to disobey, but he didn't decide to obey God to the nth degree. It's not that Lot woke up every day trying to bring a smile to the face of God. It's that Lot just woke up every day trying to say, Lord, don't let me fall today. And unfortunately, this is where most Christians are, relatively righteous. But we are comparing that righteousness to the wickedness that is in the world. And this is Lot. Lot was a mess. He just wasn't as much of a mess as the people with whom he was living. Lot was Abraham's nephew. At that time, it was called, he was called Abram. And Abram was responsible for Lot. God said, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to leave your homeland, and come to the place that I will show you, and this will be your new home. And I will give it to you, and ultimately to your descendants after you. This is what God told Abram. And God left, excuse me, Abram left a place called Haran that was probably in retrospect named Haran after his brother who died there. Now, his brother happened to have a son who was Lot. Abram was the eldest of the three brothers who were born to Terah. Terah was the father. Terah passed. Somehow or another, Haran passed. As the eldest brother, and you can tell he was the eldest, not because the Bible says he was the eldest, but when it mentions siblings in order, it usually does it in order of age. And it says Abram was first, then Nahor, then Haran. Haran died. The eldest brother then was responsible for the children of that brother who, who was deceased. So Lot became now Abram's charge. And because in Greek culture and in Hebrew culture, in fact, most cultures other than Western, there is no distinction really between a brother, a, a son of yours, and a son of your brother. They are all the same level of son to each one of their uncles. That's just the way it works. In fact, the word for brother, Adelphos, there is no word for cousin. We've made that distinction. We call them nephews and nieces and cousins. But there was no distinction. In fact, if you go to Africa today, some of the, uh, uh, especially Western African cultures, there's no difference. They're all just brothers at that same level. And so Lot then became Abram's charge, indeed, like his son. He had to take him into the promised land. And Lot had issues. Lot, 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 Lot was a lot to carry. <laughs> I, I'm just, and, and let's face it, if we're going to be righteous in our life, I mean, really righteous, not just relatively righteous compared to the wickedness that is in the world. But if we're going to do the right thing, all of us are going to have to carry lots with us. Have to. You're going to have to carry folk that just don't want to obey. 
just don't want to strive for the highest calling God, just always trying to get by, fighting about what's yours. With you. Fighting with you about what's yours. Mad at you that you won't give them what's yours. You have to deal with lots like that, and your goal should be that I am not the lot. We always like to point the finger, don't we? We never think it's us. Make sure you're not Lot. Lot came to Abram one day and said, you know what? My sheep don't have enough to eat. Neither do my cattle. We need to do something about this. I got to feed my people and I got to make sure my sheep can have enough food to nurse their young and provide good wool. What's the deal here? How come I'm not getting mine? That's Brett's paraphrase. Abram looked at him. We know Abram didn't argue. It says that Lot's shepherds and herdsmen were arguing with Abram's and, and they, were, they couldn't get along. And when Lot actually came to Abram, it wasn't one of these, how can we do this? I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and resign myself to this patch over here and you take that. No, no, no. Because it says Abram said this, I got an idea. You choose what you want and I'll go the other direction. Now God told Abram, I give you this land. And Lot was arguing with Abram about what God gave Abram. What's wrong with the boy? What's wrong with the boy? And this wasn't just his uncle. This was the principal hinge of history at the moment. This was the one that God spoke to and said, I'm going to start with you and bring my Messiah into the world. I'm going to bless all the nations, all of them through you. I'm going to change the world through you. Lot, you would have thought, if there was any gratefulness on the inside of his soul, any brain function that was working properly would have said, whoo, I get to be along for the ride? What a deal. This is great. No, no, no. He wanted his. Give me mine. I know it's yours, but I want it. Lot had issues. And when Abram said, choose, he chose the greenest pasture he could find. I mean, this place down in the valley looked like a manicured golf course every place, every place. He said, I'm going there, and that happened to be Sodom. Nobody liked Sodom. Nobody. Nobody in the land liked Sodom. At that time, Sodom and Gomorrah were paying tribute to another group of kings. That kingdom to which they were paying tribute, or taxes, was supposed to then protect them from all enemies. Well, one day they said, we ain't going to pay no more. And so that kingdom decided, well, if you're not going to pay, we're going to attack you. And they attacked Sodom and Gomorrah and took everybody captive along with all their stuff, took all their stuff. Well, in the captives was Lot. Abram heard about it. He said, shoot. I got to go get them. Now, can you imagine that can you imagine the conversation he had to have with his men who had to strap it on and def defend Lot, lay down their lives for Lot, maybe not come home to their families? Their, their wives saying, you're, you're, going, you're going to rescue who? <laughs> he went down there on purpose. He chose those people. He wasn't supposed to do that. What's wrong with Now you're going to leave us? You're going to make me a widow and your kids orphans? Those were the conversations that were happening in every tent. But Abram was a fabulous leader. He was able to convince his men, this is worth it. Let's do it. 
Aren't you glad God the Father convinced the Son that it was a good idea to rescue you? You who are ungrateful. You who chose to live in the world. Strap it on, boys. We've got to go. They went out. They beat four kings. Abram had 318 men. That's it. And if you know anything about this region of the world at that time, it was called Mesopotamia in your history, history books when you learned it in the fifth grade. The, the, the nations then had armies of somewhere between ten and 20,000 men. And Abram, with 318 men, beat four nations. Amazing. Brought all of Sodom and the people back, all the stuff back, and Lot. Now, he could have just rescued Lot, but he rescued all of Sodom. Now, this tells you a little bit about Sodom, what I'm about to say. The first thing Sodom says to him after he's been rescued, king of Sodom comes and says, let's make a deal. Genesis 14. You... Keep all the stuff, just give me the people back. Now remember, nobody liked Sodom, and there was a good reason. I don't know that they had the the word thank you in their vocabulary. I don't know, I'm serious. There are some societies, uh, sociologists have gone to some societies around the world that don't have that word. The, the The only way you can be thankful is if God makes you so. Given to ourselves, we're always trying to take. And we are ungrateful when we get. We don't know because the avalanche that buries you when you're 20 feet under and you are so disoriented that you can't even tell which way is up and all you're trying to do is survive one day after another by letting the snow melt and, and, and drinking whatever you can get. And all of a sudden, faintly, you hear this and it's a helicopter, and there are dogs, and they are digging down deep, and they found you, and they pull you out from 20 feet under. What is the first thing you say when you see them? Thank you. After you were rescued, you don't say, now, let's get a book deal. I need to be on Regis and Kathy right now, right now. I'll cut you in on about 10% of the, 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 the take, but you got to go. This was Sodom. Not one thank you. To which Abram says, Brett's paraphrase, I heard about you. I didn't know it was this bad, but I heard about you. And because I know you, I'm not going to take one thing from you because I know what you'll do. You go out of here and say, you made me rich and take the glory from God. You take the people and the stuff and go. Sodom was a messed up people. Messed up. At that point, you would think, okay, Sodom wasn't the safest place to live. They just got beat up, taken captive. I think I'll go back to Uncle Abe. He's always cared for me. And look, he's, he's the greatest protector in the entire land. I'll never have a problem if I'm with him. But for some reason, see, Lot's brain just ain't working right. He goes straight back to Sodom, straight back to Sodom. Now it's a decade later. God comes down and said, now I've heard everything that's going on in Sodom. Y'all been talking about it, but it, it came up to me now. 
and I got to go check it out myself. So what we have is a thing called a Christophany, which is a manifestation of God in human form, though it is not actual flesh, but he looks like a human being. And he comes down, and there are three beings that walk across Abram's front yard. And Abram sees them. And he says, at this time he's called Abraham, changed his name. Come over and have lunch with me, dinner. Can I, can I provide for you? And, and they, they've, got, they've got international business to conduct in Sodom. And yet, when Abram says, can I get a cup of coffee with you? The Lord says, sure, I'll stop by. What kind of relationship you got with God? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I mean, when international affairs can be stopped just to get a cup of coffee with you, it's not like anything was changed materially from what God was going to do. He just said, eh, let's postpone that because I like this boy. He's my friend. I'm going to have a cup of coffee with him. You got, you, you, you got it going on with God like that? He's no respecter of persons. He'll have that kind of relationship with anybody. Befriend him like that. Obey him, love him, sacrifice. Leave all that you know to be in the world that's your friend, that's provided for you, and follow him with all your heart. He'll stop off and talk with you. In the middle of that, <clears throat> God says, you think I ought to go down to Sodom and, and do all that I'm planning without consulting with Abraham? God has not just stopped off for a cup of coffee. He says, I want your counsel. Now, I ain't had it like that with God. I don't have it like that. He's not asking my opinion on nothing. <laughs> not on a thing. I'm still trying to figure out the best thing to do by asking him. He's asking Abraham's opinion about what ought to be done in the world. Now, he's got vested interests because Lot's down there. It's his nephew. So he goes down and says, I've heard the cry. It's bad. So I got to do something about it. And Abraham realizes what it means. He says, now, don't consider me too forward, but if, if there were 50 righteous people in the land, would you, would you like destroy them? No. Well, if, if, you, if you, you'll pardon me again, if there were 45, would you destroy them? No. 40? No. 30? No. 20? No. <laughs> Forgive me one more time. If there were 10 righteous in that city, would you destroy it? And the Lord said, no. And at that point, Abraham stops because he realizes this. If there aren't 10, that means my nephew's been down there for a decade and a half and has had no impact. Now, what kind of righteous are you again? Are you the kind of righteous that only allows you to get saved? Because he's going to say, he's going to take, he's going to take Lot out. Lot's going to be saved. But is your righteousness the kind of righteousness that just exceeds the most wicked so you can be saved? In other words, you're not doing bad, but you sure aren't doing good. Or is yours the kind of righteousness that says, <laughs> I'm going to change my world. God's called me to be leaven in this lump, and I plan to let my influence extend to everybody I know. God's called me to be salt in a corrupt environment, and wherever corruption is, it's going to stop with me. God's called me to be light in the midst of darkness, and wherever I go, I'm going to shine my light as brightly as possible. I'm going to impact all my friends. Does your righteousness look like that? Abraham did not have any 
any unction to go past 10 because he realized he's been down there 15 years and the Lord still has to come and he would not have come if there were just 10. Basically, Abraham says, do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. The Lord walks down into Sodom. As he walks down in there, <clears throat> goes into the city, and he's going to sleep in the square. No place. I don't know about hotels. I don't know. He's just going to sleep in the square, and maybe that meant the city area, and he was going to get a hotel. I don't know. But, but Lot then sees them and says, come in here, please. They said, no, we'll sleep out here. He said, no, no, you need to come in here. So Lot knew that it wouldn't be a good idea to stay any place other than with him. And so they walk in, but people in the city see him. And it says men from every place in the city, old and young, from all over the city came to the front door and said, give us these men, for we have business to conduct with them that is immoral. I'm being kind. <laughs> now, God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for the particular sin for which they are known in our society, though that may be a part of it. But that's not the reason that he he describes in Ezekiel 16, 48 through 51. He says, I destroyed Sodom. And he's talking to Judah because Judah has been so bad that God says, your sister Sodom, literally, and this is where we get the concept of relative righteousness in verses 48 through 51. Your sister Sodom is more righteous than you. She looks righteous compared to you. That's what God says. But your sister Sodom, this is why I destroyed her. Because she was arrogant. Because she had an abundance and was at ease. And because she had no regard for the poor. That's why I brought your sister Sodom low. Now, that doesn't have to be exhaustive. But those were the primary reasons God explains as to why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. There could be other reasons. And indeed, when a society is bad, generally it's all bad. There's not much good you can find in it because sin doesn't have a stopping point. It can't read S-T-O-P on the side. It just keeps going. So these guys come at the door and say, we got some business to conduct with these gentlemen. And Lot says, no, 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 don't, don't, no, no, don't, I beg you, don't do it. And then they start fighting at the door. And now the men are pressing in, trying to say, Lot, if you don't let us in, we're going to do worse to you than we do to them. And then the angels step in and they pull Lot back from the stoop, from the front area, close the door, and then strike the men at the front door with blindness. And so everybody's groping around now. They don't know where to go, what to do. And Lot, Lot hears the angels, and the angels say, boy, it's time for you to get up out of here. Go. And here's the rescue. And the rescue is super, you got to understand what it means to be rescued. Rescued means that we are not just rescued from our from our own mistakes, although that's beautiful when God pulls us out of a ditch. But we are rescued from sin before it affects us. Temptation. We are pulled out from the moment before we commit it. We are rescued. He was rescued before he did anything wrong. Before he imbibed from the culture deeply. He was rescued. And though his soul was tormented day after day, he did not give in. And for that, I give him credit. I give him credit. But in his rescue, he still had something on the inside of him that didn't want to go. In fact, he said to the angels, oh, no, don't do this. The angel said, you have to go now. By morning, destruction is coming. Now, 
it's not only Lot who didn't want to leave, but Lot was now married and he had two daughters. And you say, well, where did he get his wife? From Sodom. So she didn't want to leave home. As evidenced by the fact that when they did take out, the angel said, make sure you do not look back. And this is what rescue looks like in its best form. That when we are rescued from the temptations and the torments and the evils of this world, that we are so grateful that we never long for that from which we came. Because when we get out, we also not, not only need, we not only need to be taken out of the world, we need the world taken out of us. And when I say taken out of the world, I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm talking about getting out of the world system. We need it taken from us. As they exited, they were told not to look back, back yet Lot's wife. And immediately she was turned to salt. Now I don't even know what that means. I've studied it for years. I can't figure it out, and I don't know that anybody else knows what it means. But I do know how it, how it translates practically. You are immobile. You can't move in God. You're stuck. Oh, you may have been extracted from the world system, but you sure aren't moving forward. You're stuck right where you are. And this is how people wind up being 20 years saved and look no different. They're still out there trying to pull on the world stuff. Oh, they've been extracted from it, but they dabble every once in a while. They're still looking back trying to figure out, okay, do I have to be one of those fanaticals? Do I have to be really all that religious-like? I mean, I can just do I can just go to church, can't I? Read my Bible and, you know, have, you know, go out with the fellas, you know? <laughs> you pillar of salt, you. You are moving in the kingdom of God. You are stuck. And Lot petitions these angelic beings. Please, the angelic beings say, go up to the mountains. Retreat to that place. We we, we want you to get as far away as possible. He said, if I go there, I'll die. Now, whenever we don't want to go someplace, we make it seem worse than it really is. Do you think God would have told him someplace where he's going to die? Why would he tell him to do that? He could have killed him in Sodom. That doesn't make no sense. He wouldn't have died there. He said, let me go to this little city, which was like a suburb of Sodom, which was probably going to be destroyed in the process because the the angelic beings say this to, to Lot, hurry up and get there because we can't bring our destruction until you get there, which means that that city is saved because you were there. Now, in the midst of this, y'all, there is a, there's a larger question that just shouts at you from the Bible. It says that Abraham watched as Sodom and Gomorrah was, was rained down upon by, by, by fire and brimstone, and he watched the smoke billow up from the valley, which means he was a few miles away. He could see it. You can't see a fire if, if you're in Chantilly when it's happening in Gaithersburg, you see a fire when it happens in Fairfax. Down the street, eight miles down 50. That's how you see smoke. And you sit there and you say, now boy, it's your direst time. When all was lost, like, why didn't you go back to Uncle Abe? He was right down the street. He's right down the street, boy. 
and you chose to go to Zoar? Why? Why? When we don't have a passion to do the right thing on a regular basis, we don't want to be around the people who are doing the right thing. We stay away from family. We stay away from spirit. When I say family, I'm talking about spiritual family, people who are doing the right thing. We stay away from accountability, brothers who will help us, sisters who will help us. We stay away from women at the well. We stay away from parenting conferences. We stay away from marriage conferences. We stay away from counsel. We stay away from all the stuff that represents covenantal living that will best help us because we still, even though we've been extracted from the world, the world is still in us. I don't want to go back to Uncle Abe because that represents everything I... I left and what I need to do right and how at some point repentance means you got to go back through which you came. When God said to to Jacob, I want you to go back to your your land of promise because this is a place that I'm going to give you and your descendants. He was in Haran with his uncle at that time, Nahor and Laban. Laban was Nahor's son and then Rachel was Laban's daughter and he married Rachel. But that's where he was to go to find a spouse. And God said, after 20 years, I want you to come home. Do you know where he had to come through in order to get home? He had to come through Esau's territory. There's no way you can get to your promised land without reconciling with the people you heard on the way out. No way. Oh, you can get to heaven, but you won't get to your promised land here without reconciling with the people that you heard on the way out. You've got to get it right. Now, it doesn't mean that they will like you. Doesn't mean they may, they may not reconcile with you at all, but you will do everything you possibly can to get it right with them. Lot, I'm giving you an opportunity. Let's go get it right. Let's go get it right. He'd rather go to Zoar. <sighs> Lastly, God says he brings about retribution. And retribution... It's just painful. The one thing we, we, we like, we like the version of God who doesn't get angry. We like him. We like the God that doesn't judge. The God who doesn't put people in hell. The God who doesn't rain down punishment on folk for what they've done wrong. We like that God. But you can't have the God of mercy without the God of justice because the only way you can have mercy is if he is just. Are you listening? That's the only way he can exert mercy because mercy says, I know what needs to be done, but I extend to you the other. If there is not a God of justice, then there need be no mercy. He is holy and pure. He is righteous and good. And because of his goodness and because of his righteousness, he must punish sin. And when people do not let Christ be the substitutionary sacrifice for their wrongdoing, they become it themselves. He says this. He knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Those who indulge the flesh and despise authority. Now, this is not exhaustive. This is just, these are two categories. And under these two categories exist a whole lot of sin. But indulging the flesh means you just choose to do what you want to do. And when he says this, he's not saying the people who are already saved, are denying their salvation and forfeiting their ticket to glory if they begin to be those that indulge the flesh and deny authority or despise authority. He's not saying that. He's not saying there's a forfeiture. He's saying this to church folk, to Christians. 
people who live like this don't wind up in a good spot. So don't be them. This is what happens to them. This is how God thinks about them. Don't wind up in that position because it is entirely possible. And listen to me. You can go to glory and, and, and find judgment here around every turn if you disobey regularly. Even in the midst of his judgment here, he's merciful because he hasn't evicted you from your home. Better said, he hasn't evicted you from his home. He owns your body. He bought it. He made it and then bought it back. And we have not yet given him his due rent. We haven't paid what we ought to pay. And he has been so kind to let you still live up in his house. Put your feet on his ottoman. Watch his cable. He's been so kind. He hasn't given you an eviction notice. So even this tough stuff through which you got to go, where you were the author of your own demise, you put yourself in your own ditch. It is mercy that he allows you to continue to suffer in it. He's an amazing God because every day the sun rises on you is another opportunity for you to experience his love and grace and to see him fix everything you've done wrong. Oh, he's an amazing God. You haven't arrived at a place of maturity yet until you can praise him for your difficulty. Anybody can praise him for winning the lottery, getting a raise, promotion, health. The wicked do that. The mature can be like Job who say, you know, God gave me and he he decided that I didn't need it anymore. But blessed be his name anyway. He does rain down retribution on those who do wrong. And I'm begging you, don't be in that category. Some of you today don't know who Jesus is. Here's an opportunity for you to get right. To say, I'm, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to be those who are in the category of being reserved for judgment. I choose to surrender my life and to serve you for the rest of my days. Do that, and God will put you on a path of mercy and grace and allow you the privilege of knowing what it means to be a son or a daughter in his house. It's beautiful.